the sun's out, football's all over the place, the chaos is just, I love it. I'm embrace, embracing the chaos as Ryan Hunter and Musa Kwonga say, embracing the chaos, embracing the weather. I'm just in a great mood every day at the moment and I hope it continues. Um, this is a conversation with Effie, who uh, played for Goldigans for a summer. We reminisce a little bit um, pre-COVID um, 2019 summer. Um, reminisce on that a little bit. But she uh, she plays handball. She moved to Oslo recently to, to play handball um, more seriously. So we talk a little bit at the start about moving during the pandemic, um, but get on to a whole host of things, handball career taking off and all of that. Effie, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And I'll catch up with you soon. When I moved here, obviously, I mean, like I said, there was, there wasn't really any, there was kind of still restrictions in terms of like, um, I could keep one meter distance and stuff, but like clubs and stuff were open. So for that kind of first two months I was living here, June, and like the weather was incredible. Like mm. the day I moved in, it was like, you know, them ones when like you move somewhere and <laughs> you're wearing like half your wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one of those big football like bench coats on. Manager jackets. Puffy ones. And like I'm pushing a suitcase wherever and I must have lost about five stone just from sweating. <laughs> like like you said, like all like all the clubs are supposed to open. So like mm. thankfully I did get to go out a bit and like kind of like I'm, I met some great people. Um and yeah, like it was great because when I like it was kind of like continuing on from like when I left London. So obviously, kind of when I left London in like July, that was like half time between like first and second lockdown where like people were allowed out. So like thankfully, I got to have like um, like I got to have a bit of a leaving party and stuff, and like I got to kind of get all my friends in like in like Regent's Park or something. Like that was really good. But then obviously, right after I left second lockdown started in the UK so I was like okay thank god I left at that time mm-hmm. um but yeah like I was like I said like I was kind of working um you know like going out on a Friday Saturday you know it was like it was beautiful to go anyway we were like we were swimming in like the bay and stuff kind of by the like the waterfronts and yeah it was great and then kind of the weather turned bad and then that was kind of the same time when like 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 big restrictions came in so mm. I don't know it was kind of yeah fair enough you've got the restrictions but at least you're kind of inside and not like you're not tempted to go outside because of like the sun yeah yeah and that was that was such a big thing like in the well I feel like well the weather's always a big thing in the UK anyway isn't it but like when it's like if it's a nice day that means you can go outside that was when it yeah. was just like oh like every day you're just like please let it just not be pissing it down. Even if it's just a bit cloudy, that's like picnic weather, you know? <laughs> it's like as soon as it hits kind of six degrees here, like with like sun in the sky, I'm like, okay, short weather. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the shop before this and I'm there in like socks, sliders, like basketball shorts, <laughs> There's people walking past me, like families who are still wearing like big coats and stuff. And I'm like, come on, like the sun's <laughs> out, enjoy it. Uh, you're, you're in that sense, I guess you're that bit more like ready for the ready for the weather. Like I remember when I did my year abroad in Catalonia hmm. and there'd be like a little bit of rain. People just wouldn't go outside. They'd be like terrified to go outside. And I'd be like, oh, this is, this is just quite a nice day, really. Um, and everyone else would be like, oh, well, should we stay and watch a film? I'd be like, Let's let's go for a walk. 
like I've always just kind of been the person who like I love being outside anyway like if I don't go for like at least a walk a day it like I don't know it just feels like I've wasted the day like I like mm. getting the fresh air and stuff so um like if I just feel if I'm in the household I just feel like all cramped up and like just a bit rotten so like I don't know as long as it's not like like torrential rain I'll I'll go out and I love it when you first moved to London, how much of a like a base did you have there, or was it like go somewhere new, start life from scratch? Like completely nothing. Um, like I moved there in, I think I moved September twenty sixteen, which was, and I moved three days before my twentieth birthday. Mm. So like I moved there knowing knowing pretty much nobody, and like I had I celebrated my twentieth birthday with like people I'd met in halls at the time mm. like for uni so um yeah like that was kind of a really big um like adjustment period coming from like like Middlesbrough in like the, obviously the middle of like the northeast the middle of nowhere to go into like the complete opposite like London was like I'd been to London before and like London like I always thought London was great and like it was just such a like a learning curve getting used to kind of how how London works and yeah like it was just new mm. when you then moved up to was it did you feel like oh I've done this before like I can I can do it again move to Oslo well yeah like moving somewhere new and just um, been like oh yeah I've, d- I've done this 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 feels all right I mean I think I mean moving I don't think it ever gets any easier but um I feel like because I, ha- I knew so many people from like university and that I'd played handball with um, that weren't like based in Oslo and stuff, um, kind of, yeah, they'd kind of moved back to Oslo because of COVID and stuff as well. So like when I moved here, it was kind of different to London because like I still had friends that I could kind of go to when I moved here. And um, I'd been to Oslo kind of more before moving here than I've been to London before moving there because it was like when I used to fly to Oslo from London, it was like £25 return on like mm. Ryanair. So like I used to just dip over for like like four days or something in the middle of a week. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was kind of hard. The hardest part was, I think, just moving to like another country because I'd never moved from like kind of like internationally. The only move I'd ever done was moving from Middlesbrough to London. So to move internationally and like like that brings up a whole set of other problems in terms of like residence permits or um like things like luggage I didn't like I didn't realize how small your suitcase is no matter how big it is how small your suitcase is until you try and move abroad um so yeah like like I said like it, it that was another learning curve but thankfully it wasn't kind of as steep as the one from like Middlesbrough to London because I mm-hmm. knew people here. When you um moved to London that was for university how how much of your life were you planning to be around Hamble? Well probably not because kind of before before I moved to London I hadn't had kind of like proper handball training like I'd done like bits and bobs like when um it was right after the London Olympics. Basically, he was the manager of Middlesbrough Futsal Club. Um, after the London Olympics, he'd kind of um, he'd organised to have some like handball taster sessions, at, um, like a college kind of in between us, um, to try and gauge interest for um, like a team. 
So like I went to those for like a month. It was great. Like I loved it. Um, I mean, I was kind of aware of handball before then, but like this was the first time that, uh, first time to me at least that I'd noticed handball being played in the northeast. Because uh, I don't think Newcastle got their club until maybe like just after that. So that was probably 2012, 2013. And then I didn't play handball again between then and moving to London. And f- funnily enough, the reason I decided to go to Middlesex Uni was because they had a handball team, <laughs> which is like really irresponsible. When it's like, oh, it's all this money and it's like serious education. But like, I think I applied to maybe like three unis or something. And like they all give me interviews, but on Middlesex's website, they actually advertised that they had a handball team. Like, you know, when you go on and look at like sports department and listen mm-hmm. teams, they were the only one that um, actually listed that they had a team. So that was like the deal breaker for me. Um, and like, thank God, because deciding to go to London and kind of just meeting people, whether it was kind of through handball at Middlesex or um, kind of playing in the Premier League with Olympia or London GD was like, like it's given me like friends and like people I consider family to this day. And yeah, like I never would have imagined it at all. How soon after starting at Middlesex were you playing like handball for the uni? Playing for the uni was like, like I think I just found it at, fresh, at the Freshers' Fair. Um, mm. I was walking by and I mean, obviously I knew they had a handball team because that was why I went. Yeah. But I just went by and I saw the handball table and um, the captain at the time, a girl called Hannah, like she's one of my best friends now. I just got talking to her and um, yeah, like we kind of, she was like, yeah, just come down on, like, I think it was, I think it was that night and I didn't, I didn't have any trainers. So I think after, like I went from Freshers' Fair, I was, I was living on, um, I was living right on Wembley Way. Like most right. have some, um, they were brand new for that year. So it was like, that was the whole thing. But um, mm. like as soon, like I left Freshers' Fair, I went straight to Wembley. To the, the outlets. <laughs> <laughs> But like the cheapest trainers I could find from like the Nike shop. Yeah, yeah. And then like took the bus straight back to uni for this training. And like like compared to the like the people who were like playing on the team, um, because like Middlesex always kind of t- tended to have a lot of like a big Norwegian population. So like the handball team was always kind of scattered with like Norwegians and stuff. And so the standard was always okay. And then you would kind of have like obviously uh, your freshers and things who are just trying things out and stuff and I was kind of in the middle in that like I knew what handball was I knew the rules of it but like I'd had no like formal training so I didn't really have a position so because I was kind of just left-handed they were like okay just go on the go on the right side and just do your thing over there um but yeah like I started playing for them probably so I moved to London September first training was probably like October time fairly soon it becomes a fairly big part of your life being from the UK you like football's king like it always mm. will be in the country so like like I played football like throughout my entire youth up north like playing for Hartlepool United and stuff um and I was playing football at Middlesex as well because they were obviously training like Mondays playing like sports day Wednesday I was playing futsal as well um mm. did kind of click because they had games at like the same time as handball so I'm training so I didn't really train with them much, but like if handball was playing on a Saturday and futsal was on a Sunday, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing that and I was playing, I was playing outfields for that. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from like my second year of uh, Middlesex, that was when I, I became captain. So I was like, okay, I need to take this all, a bit more seriously now. Why do you think they made you captain? 
Um, <laughs> I wish I could give some big thing about like, oh yeah, like they all nominated me because I was so passionate <laughs> and stuff. But like with the captaincy choice at uni, I don't know if it, when when like if it was like that when you were at uni, but like it was basically you had to put your name forward and like the sports department would like interview you and stuff and yeah and basically I was the only one to put myself forward for handball because I just right. loved it so um and yeah it was that was probably one of like my best decisions I ever did at Middlesex because like what would come in the next like three years was absolutely incredible do you think that jump to playing at a higher level would have come if you hadn't taken on captaincy and I guess mentally made that shift to be like okay I'm going to take this a bit more seriously uh yeah probably because I mean that second year that like 2017 2018 like we got really lucky with like the freshers intake um I mean it's kind of like that with most sports at uni that are mm-hmm. um like if it's not like football rugby basketball probably to an extent you know, those kind of like smaller sports are always going to kind of like they need the participation, like football and rugby and that would go on no matter what. Like they wouldn't even need to recruit right. and they would get players like come to them. Whereas with things like handball, you kind of have to, you have to put yourself forward and kind of obviously advertise the sport, especially to people who don't know it. And like we got really lucky with like, um, like a good group of Norwegians came in um some like some polish girls some french girls um and yet like that team was just incredible like we we won the london league unbeaten mm-hmm. um like national semi-final and i mean we were i, I do still think we were kind of we were kind of robbed a bit of <laughs> a fair fight in the semi-final because uh, of like the scheduling but um yeah i do think we could have won it all and then but because that was so, like, because we did so well and the team was such a family, I was like, yeah, I want to kind of, I want to keep playing this better. So that kind of led me to um, kind of searching up about what was going on in, like, like handball club-wise outside of uni. And then that took me to, um, that took me to Olympia. Before we move on to clubs, I know, like, Middlesex has, like, a, it's got, like, a big reputation as, like, an international university. But I didn't know that it was, like, a hub in inverted commas for Norwegians why is that I don't know but it was like it was just one of them ones like like I always found Kingston to be kind of that as well like Kingston always had a lot of Norwegians and like places like Roehampton always did but then like I just remember turning up to like the football trials and like my three like my three best friends now like still to this day I met them at that first training and um yeah like like they were Norwegian like they were kind of like I think they were second years at that point so they were kind of like loose friends through that just on the basis of being Norwegian they were kind of bonded but then like I just met them and like we all like we all hit it off straight away and I think but like by the, like I always joke with people that like by the time I left I was probably like the contact book for like Middlesex Norwegians because <laughs> like I said, I'd met these like all the ones from like football training and handball and stuff. So um, like a lot of the Norwegians at Middlesex would come to me to like talk about playing handball and stuff. So like it would get to the point where like someone would be like, oh, do you know this Norwegian? Da, da, da. Like, oh, it's like this guy. He looks like this, this, this. Da, da, da. What's his name? Oh, da, da. 
oh yeah i do yeah 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 i saw him <laughs> like the other week and yeah like it was just so strange but yeah like i don't think if i hadn't met them guys kind of in that like that first trials week then like i wouldn't be in oslo now mm. because um like i'd kind of wanted to move to norway before then but like like because it had been so long since i first kind of wanted to like probably like six or seven years at that point that like like the fires had kind of died out a bit um but then like meeting them guys and then kind of meeting all the other like norwegians there, i was like yeah like it kind of reignited everything i was like yes like i need to work for this so yeah like if i didn't meet them guys now i wouldn't be here now mm. how did you get involved with olympia um i've just so <laughs> it was like it was like a crossroads moment because um i got in touch with them and london gd at the same time because it was like if you googled like london handball they were like the top two options that came up i was like, okay cool um i emailed them both at the same time um and basically i think olympia olympia got back to me first by like a good couple of days so um yeah, and like the girl who was in charge of it, uh, Sabrina, she's the chairwoman now, um, like still one of my good friends. She, um, she, I think Sam mentioned that was, oh yeah, does I play all these Norwegians? And she mentioned she was Swedish. So like, again, we kind of like bonded over that like love of Scandinavia there as well. So um, yeah, and I came down with training and um, that was, I think the first few trainings were really interesting because like I said, I didn't have a, I didn't have a set position. Like I'd kind of played a little bit in goal, um, but I'd mostly played like outfield. But processing tactics in my head just wasn't working. Like do like cut inside or do this, go in between these guys. Like so I was like, okay, let me just go in goal. Um, and yeah, so like I, like I kind of started off with the first like the first team during like a trial period, but then once they kind of like clocked that I was absolutely useless outfield, they were like, okay. <laughs> Go and like, go and train with the second team, get better, and then we'll see what happens later on. Right. How different was the like the environment to to Middlesex environment? It was quite big, to be fair, because I mean, like, uni sports a thing, and I think unless you go to like one of the big unis that takes sport like super super like a Loughborough or like a Durham or someone like that, like mm-hmm. that, um, I think it is just kind of a big like a big bag of just a mess. Um, like with but like with Middlesex handball so the captain wouldn't just be the captain like the captain would be like in charge of recruiting in charge of like organizing transport in charge Mm -hmm. of like uh you you're essentially the chairman of the club at the same time so you know you're doing the job of this 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 like thankfully we had a really good coach uh like a Norwegian guy um he was the coach and like he was really good and stuff um but yeah it's like going from that to training with like these premier league quality handball players um it was mad and like you know like because it's london and you get so many like it's such a diverse like smogsboard of people that are there like you know at olympia we had a lot of romanians like a lot of polish and goes like these are girls that have played handball since they were like three or four years old mm-hmm. so going into that where and like things like match preparation like don't get me wrong like they knew how to have a drink and they knew how to party and stuff (laughs) but like when it came to like game time and training time like everybody was like on job um 
so yeah, kind of because I was playing for Olympia at the same time of like like 2018, 19, I was like still captain of Middlesex handball, was like I'm still involved with Middlesex sport in general. Like it was such a big thing of like like going out with like the futsal team or something at Middlesex and then oh hang on, I've got to play for like Olympia's second team like tomorrow as well. So mm. like the like the standards were a lot higher. Um it it it's a take getting used to, but yeah, I think I got there in the end. Mm. When you were playing like most often, how many times a week were you playing handball? By the time I was playing for Olympia, which was like 2018-19, um, basically Middlesex handball kind of went down. And that was, I think, like December 2018 was the last time Middlesex handball put a kind of like a team out. Like I said, like sports like that kind of, <clears throat> they kind of rely on having like a good freshers intake. Um, and that year we just did not have a good one. Like we got some really good players in, but um, we couldn't get them to commit, which you know it's it's their choice at the end of the day. Um, but it did ultimately mean that like we couldn't field a team. But that basically meant I could play futsal a lot more because right. <laughs> they want futsal handball at the same time. So it would be like I would help out with football and hockey because I was a hockey goalkeeper as well now and again. Were you? I Didn't would, know that. Yeah, like, but then again, I I fell into that completely random as well. But like, I just I loved it. Um, I only played for like two years, but it was sick. Um, <laughs> so I think I was I was training hockey on Monday nights because I didn't go to football at that point. Um, Wednesday was like hockey game. Uh, Thursday would be futsal training or handball if it was on. But obviously, once it got past December, it was kind of futsal. Um, I think Olympia were training Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and then on a weekend, you would either have a futsal game, mixed hockey game, or um, an Olympia second team game. Or if, or if the first team were playing on like a Saturday and the second team on a Sunday, you'd go and watch the first team and then go and play with the second team like the next wow. day. So like it was literally like a whole week. And I'd, I basically had quit my job for that year of uni. I was only working at like a Wetspoons or whatever. So like I kind of left them that summer because I was like, I want to focus on uni and stuff. I ended up going back there, obviously, kind of in January, February time. But um, at the peak, I was playing, I was playing like four different sports at once. <laughs> so it much. It was great. Like it was incredible. Like, I wish I could do that now. Yeah. I mean, that's just so much time. But if you love it and if you're enjoying it, then it's the best thing ever to be in that rhythm of like, oh yeah, what's next? What's next? And if it's like, particularly, I mean, like that, I've never... I, I can't I can't imagine doing four sports at once like that. The, I mean, if you said you struggled to get your head around tactics for handball, how you got your head into four different sports every week, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing, but because I was a goalkeeper, I didn't really need a focus on tactics. I was just mm. like, stop the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like like in like in hockey, you've obviously you've got all this padding on. So I was like, what's my job? Oh, stop the ball. Like dive <laughs> at people. Like it's easy. Like what's out? Same same as handball, but the ball's bigger. Like that's great as well. I can do that. Um, so yeah, I was kind of just doing the same job, but kind of just wearing different kit. <laughs> was there specialist goalkeeper coaching for any of those sports? I didn't get any specialist goalkeeper training in anything until I joined London GD in January, 2020. Okay. Like that's like across any sport, whether it's like football, handball, 
futsal, anything. Um, like one at Olympia, it was kind of like the goalkeepers would be kind of left to one side during the warm up. Like we do our own thing and then kind of joined in with like the full team training. Whereas at London GD, um, the previous coach of the women's team who still played for the men, um, he agreed to kind of help out the current coach. Um, and by doing that, he was like, okay, I'll kind of work with the goalkeepers. Um, like he wasn't a goalkeeper himself, but like he, he like he was like committed to it. So like he was always coming up with like new drills. He was doing his research, like doing all this stuff. And like I, like kind of in the same way that I wouldn't have joined Olympia if I didn't have that good year at Middlesex. I don't think I would be playing in Norway now if I didn't have that goalkeeper training at London GD. Because it again, it just kind of like, like it just lit another fire in me, and like I did feel like I got better with the goal, like with like specialist goalkeeper training. So, yeah, like I probably wouldn't be playing now if it wasn't for Jordy at London GD. Mm. That's so interesting that that's so similar across, like women's handball and women's football. Like I watched an interview with um, it was with Paddy Kenny. I think he said he didn't get goalkeeper training until he was about. Till he was like 24 or something. Really? This was a guy who was like, you know, he was playing Premier League with Sheffield United at the, at the point. Like, he didn't get a proper coach until then. It's like, what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously getting better, but it blows my mind that it's like a, like, it's like a new thing mm. that goalkeepers need training different to like the outfield. <laughs> yeah. So, it just it's crazy that that's like deemed to be okay like we need to start introducing this like no this should have been like this is like base level like first day on the job stuff yeah i only did my goalkeeper coaching badge i think like january or february last year mm-hmm. and as i was doing it i was like this just like basically what you just said like this should be this shouldn't be separate from the outfield level one you should just put them together make the course longer and everyone who's going to qualify should be taught how to coach goalkeepers because straight away then you can go into your environment however if you're lucky to have more than one goalkeeper you can do stuff for both of them but if it's only one person who's turning up regularly to be part of your session and you're alienating them then you're just doing them such a disservice yeah I think that was kind of that might have been why I stopped enjoying football about like 2017 time because it was like like the session would like the sessions would just be kind of like doing my own kind of warm up, like stretching and stuff, and then like we jump like straight into like a game situation or like just being there to stand in the goal while like the attackers and the defenders do stuff. It's like there was nothing actually about like me or like the other goalkeepers. We were just kind of there as like an accessory in a way. When I messaged you to sort of doing this out, um, I said, "Oh, like when did you realise you were good enough to play handball professionally?" And you said, "Oh." it's not professional that's a whole different thing that we'll get into why is there no money in in handball i think it's just because in the uk it's still deemed as like a like a growing spot and i mean i think if covid hadn't happened the growth would have been a lot more because obviously the kind of i think most kind of emerging sports have been like knocked back by covid like it's all just a battle to get sponsorship from like your local business and stuff in like in the way that a lot of grassroots sports is obviously but like we were like we were playing in the premier league and you know we were like it's it was still pay to play at that point and i mean it still is now like there's no nobody in british handballs collecting a check 
And if they are, I'd like to talk to them and work <laughs> out how they did it. Because it's like, like even like even the governing body outside of maybe like two or three roles is all still kind of like a voluntary basis. Um, and especially in somewhere like London where, um, you know, you're competing for so much with like other sports and things. And, you know, you know, unfortunately businesses don't have like an endless pot of money. You know, if they are given sponsorship, then, you know, they will be selective with it. And like, it's just a battle to get people interested and keep people committed and interested just to help the sport grow. Like, I don't think, like, I think handball needs, like, needs really committed people who are, like, live and breathe the sport and live and breathe the club. Like, uh, like at both Olympia and GD, you know, there's people who, um, you know, you can tell that they fight, like, tooth and nail because they love the sport and they want to keep the club going. Um, so, like, bigger sports like football and rugby, I think... You know, if they didn't have those people who were like super, super committed and stuff like that, the sport would still go on. But if, like, if a sport like handball loses the people who are committed to it, and there isn't that kind of next generation, for lack of a better term, of people coming who are just as committed and want to keep it going, then the sport will die out. Which is like what happened at Middlesex, you know, at Middlesex. I was always really worried about what would happen when I left because, you know, like that club at Middlesex was like, it was like my baby. Like I'd put that together and kind of elevated it. And um, like I won the captain of the year awards in like 17, 18. And that's just because I loved the sport so much and I loved the team so much. Um, And I was just really worried about what, like there wasn't going to be somebody else once I left. Mm. And ultimately, you know, the team did kind of um, like stop running from like December 18, like I said, because the intake of of like freshers in 18, 19 and 19, 20 just wasn't there. And which meant the interest wasn't there, which meant it just wasn't like feasible to run the club. Um so, like, like, I think I cried the day I had to announce that the team wasn't going to run. Like, it broke my heart. But, like, in a way, I was kind of glad that it meant that it happened kind of on my watch rather than me leaving and it just kind of, like, dying a slow death. Um, so, yeah, like, it just needs it needs people to kind of just keep it going and you know, keep shouting about it everywhere they go just to, because even if, even if one person listens and comes down and help, you know, that one person could be, you know, the person who takes the next, the spot to the next level. So every person counts. Mm. How different is the scene in Oslo? I mean, it's just different. Like, obviously it's like handball's like the national sport. So like, like the team I've been, like that I've joined, um, Lambasetta, they have a team in like the third division and the fourth division. Um, which is like the fourth tier here because they obviously do like one, two, three, four, but then there's got the Premier League. Um, but like the girls that I train with, like they would walk into any team in the UK with ease and play maximum minutes because they're an, like, they're an absolute joke to play with. And like even me coming, like, coming from like playing with like the best, like 
the best players in the UK and training with them on like a weekly basis, coming here and training with like these girls here, I was like, oh my God, like these girls are going to kill me. Yeah, it was just different. And like, unfortunately, I've not kind of had a t- chance to play because everything got like locked down. But like, like for the two months I've trained with them and like that I will train with them after this is over, like it was incredible. And like right before the lockdown started, I did feel like I'd improved from like when I came and from that time. But then obviously like lockdown came and kind of killed all that momentum. So tough. So, so tough. I mean, there's never a good time for like anything to get stopped. But when you're like, when you feel like you're on a roll. When, so when the lockdown was started in the UK, like back in March last year, um, kind of right before they announced, they officially announced it, obviously there was like that period where like sports were getting cancelled, like Mm -hmm. here and there, like some like, like football games were getting cancelled, some were still going and stuff. There was like that period. Um, we play, So we played the last handball game in the UK before lockdown. Um, and I remember going into the weekend. We had, I think the Saturday, uh, the first team was playing a Premier League game away at Cambridge. And on the Sunday morning, the second team was playing a game at home against Chelsea in Leighton. I remember leading up to the weekend and we had like a big discussion as a team is like, do we want to do this? And obviously, like, we did drop in numbers. Like, we went from taking, like, a full-strength team to taking, like, a mixture of, like, first and second team girls and maybe, like, only a few subs and stuff. Um, But, like, we said, if we don't get more than seven people, we're not going. And we got more, thankfully. And we went to Cambridge. And this was the first time in the Premier League that I'd been the only goalkeeper to go. So I was I, knew I was going to play the whole game, mm. and I've, like I've never been so nervous for anything in my life because it was like, like at the like, the Premier League's always won by either Olympia or GD, and GD had lost to Olympia before Christmas, and Olympia they'd lost one as well. So it's like, it was still really close, and it was going to come down to the final day if it happened. Um, so we were like, right, we need to win this, and Cambridge were like really good, like they have they had some really good like Lithuanian players. Um, and I remember going into the game and thinking, oh my God, this is, it's going to, it's going to like rely on me because I was like, like the, the main goalkeeper at GD, a girl called Anna, like she's absolutely incredible. Like probably the best goalkeeper I've trained with. Um, and she wasn't there. So I was like, oh my God, it's me. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like I played like the game of my life. I think we won by like five points and like, I remember the game finishing. I was just like. I, I think I just screamed because it was like everything leading up to it of like, are we going to play? We're we not going to play. And like the first time I was going to be like the only keeper and that, and we won. And then I think, I think like we went out that night, like the last night out before like lockdown. Mm. Um, but we had, we, so we had the second game the next day on the Sunday, which was like, I think it was like 10 AM in Leighton, like disgustingly <laughs> early. Um, in freezing Leighton, like Leighton score center. I don't know if you've played there, but like, absolutely it takes like a fridge um we've gone there 10 a.m and again i'm i'm the only keeper so i'm I'm gonna play like a whole another 60 minutes um and again i played i I played probably that was like the best weekend of handball i've ever played like we won Mm. both games i played every minute of it and then obviously the next day they were like right we're postponing the league stop it and i was like oh my god Mm. can't believe it 
I've seen a couple of handball games. I've watched a little bit at the Olympics. And then I was in Baku in, mm. I'm going to say 2017, and watched some handball there. What, for, for the keeper to have the game of their life, what, what does that mean? Like, you just have to, like, you have to stand on your head and just be like a wall. Um, and like, as well as deal with like the pressure of being like, knowing that, you know, if you're having a bad game, you have to stay there. Like, it's not like you can get pulled and the other keeper can come on to like take some heat off you for a bit. Like, you know that like, whether you're having an incredible game or the worst game of your life, you've just got to ride it out for the whole time. And um, it was literally, so every time like the other team was attacking, you've just got, it's just got to take it one step at a time, like one save at a time and everything. So it was like, you know, like you'd make one save and like, okay, this one's done. Next one's coming to the save that again, maybe, or let it in or whatever. And then I suppose just because again, there isn't another keeper. So if you've let a, like if you've let, a, if you've let a bad goal in or something, you've got to get it out of your head instantly. Cause if you let that drop, like I said, you can't, like you can't get switched for the other keeper. Mm. So you've got to do it for the sake of the team. Like you've got to put the team on your back in that case. And like, because like the game was really back and forth anyway. Um, it got to the point where it was like, right, I need, I've got to do something. And like, I think, I think we took a time out with like five minutes left and it was like a tie game or something. And we were like, right, we all need to just switch on. Mm. And I think from that point onwards, like, like the team defended incredibly. Um, I like I was stopping everything. Girls were blocking stuff, and like, yeah, it was just incredible. And then, like I said, like just that that like outburst of emotion at the end from like, mm-hmm. all of us. Um, yeah, just standing on our heads and stopping everything. How did you come across Goldigers, and what was it like to get back playing football? Um, I think I joined Diggers in twenty nineteen. I think I reckon it's that summer. Yeah. Yeah, so it was like basically. So when I when I came to London, like I said, I was playing every sport at Middlesex, um, but I was still kind of playing. Like football was still kind of my priority because, like I said, I'd been playing for Hartlepool back here, back up north and stuff. And I think throughout from like 2016 to like maybe 2017 or something. Um, I was playing for Hampstead football as well because I had a friend who played for them. And I think after that, I'd kind of, because I was juggling so much and like, like I wanted to commit to a team, like an actual football team, but like, because of, because of handball, I didn't want to like fully commit. Um, And that kind of went on from like 2016 till 2019. Like I couldn't commit to Hampstead. Hampstead become, ended up becoming ben, London Benfica. Um, I helped them out a couple of times in goal, but like I couldn't commit to them um, because, again, like handball was my priority. Um, but I still wanted to play football. Like I still wanted to kick a ball about and stuff. So um, I, I, I can't remember how I came across Gold Diggers, but I was like, like I, I did all my research. I like, looked into them, like website, everything. Um, and I think, like, the biggest thing for me was that, like, commitment wasn't the biggest... Like, commitment wasn't a priority. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, like you know, people can dip in and out, like, whenever they're free. And it's, like, like if you don't show up for a few weeks, you won't play or whatever. Like, you would have, like, a, um, like a Sunday league team or something. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, like I once I joined Gold Diggers, like that summer or something. Yeah, it probably would have been 2019 because it was like around the time the Women's World Cup was on. Um, yeah, like I started enjoying football again because of Gold Diggers because mm-hmm. I could just like I could dip in and out when I wanted to. Like if I was free on if I was free on a Monday, I would I could go and play Super Fives. If I was free on a Sunday, I could go and play uh, like Clapham Common or whatever. Um, yeah, it was great. And like, um, I don't think if if I hadn't joined Diggers and like started enjoying football, then I don't think I would have then ended up joining Mundial and then winning the Super Fives like last year or whatever, whenever it was. Um, yeah, like I, I enjoyed football again because of Gold Diggers. Mm. that's so nice it's so good to hear I think that's that's not like you're definitely not the first player who's played who who feels like that and hopefully you won't be the last I think even last yeah. night at training I'm hearing like oh I haven't played for ages but like I really like the way it was last week so I'm back and that's that's so exciting playing Super 5 was probably like my favourite time playing football probably since like I was playing for Hartpool like back in 2016 because like it was so chilled out um, I felt like I did really good because mm. it was like a smaller goal. It was like it was like playing futsal, but like football because it was like smaller goal, same size mm. ball. It was like like I felt like I did really good. Um, so that obviously did a lot for like my enjoyment and like my confidence level and stuff. Um, but yeah, like it was it's just fun. Like I wish I could I wish I could go and play like five aside now. Like mm. I love it. When I started at Middlesex playing for like Middlesex football. Um, so I was all—I should have said this as well. I was always like a striker playing up. Like I love, score, I love scoring goals and like <laughs> celebrating stuff. Um, and my first game for Middlesex, we were away at Kingston. Um, <laughs> we were, uh, we tied it three-three, and I scored a hat—the only hat trick I've ever scored in my life. <laughs> and to this day, I can't work out how I did it. Like I've got—I've got friends who played for Kingston that day, and they don't even know how it happened. But like. <laughs> Yeah, like we, we drew three three, and like I think I finished that season as like top scorer with eight. But like wow. as the year kind of went on, I just got progressively worse and worse and worse because I was like, I, I was enjoying uni life for without going into detail. Like I was enjoying myself, so like I like I got like I mean I was never fast like a fast person anyway, but like I definitely got a bit slower over that first year and stuff. So then I kind of started dropping back and back and back until I ended up in goal. I was going to ask about Hartlepool and how you got involved with them and what position you were playing for them. That was actually a big one as well because that was my first time being involved in women's sport. Um, I'd kind of taken two years. Like once I kind of once I kind of came out as trans, I kind of took two years off sport. Or I mean, I took time off. Didn't think it would get to two years. Um, because I was just kind of trying to like deal with everything going on in my head. And like, like I said, like I missed playing football. Um, so I got, I got in touch with the coach at um, Seton Carew, which is like, a, it's like a small little village between like Hartlepool and Billingham next to me. where I'm from. Um, I got in touch with her. Um, and yeah, like I came down with training and it was great. Um, I was playing striker for them as well because like I said, I loved scoring goals and like, because I was, you no, know, because I was big, I was like, you know, I had the old like turnstile, like not, if you just stand <laughs> over there, let me warn you, top card. Um, so yeah, like I was playing striker for them and I loved it. And then 
Um, Seaton, as a club, ended up being adopted by Hartlepool United as their, um, as their like women's team. So I was like, oh, I've come across one here. Let's go. Um, <laughs> I was playing for I was playing for their reserves for like the season as a striker. I think I went in goal once or twice because they didn't have another keeper. <laughs> like right. sometimes I was like, but yeah, like I was playing striker now and again for the reserves and stuff. And then yeah, like by the time I was like, I kind of hit my strides. I left for London, which has kind of been like a theme of like, once I start hitting my stride in something, something big happens, mm. whether it's like like a pandemic or <laughs> a big life event, like moving like city. So something always happens once I hit my stride. But um, yeah, like playing for Hartlepool was great. And like, yeah, I suppose that you could trace me playing for gold diggers all the way back to that. Oh, Actually, even bigger, you could trace me playing women's sport now in Norway, like playing handball, all the way back to that. Mm. Because if they hadn't been like good as gold with me from like the day I joined them, about like you know who I was and if they hadn't been good as gold from day one, then I wouldn't still be playing sport now. With the athlete ally piece, um, when I was reading through that, um, it got me thinking, I suppose, about like what the role of an ambassador is. And like to, for you to say that like, I'm an ambassador for Athlete Ally, I just wondered if you could tell tell me a little bit about what what that involves um, for you. I mean, from from how I understand it, it's kind of um, you know if if they if they're running like events or if they're running campaigns or stuff that they needs like um, endorsements for, then um, you know they can come to me and be like, listen, it, we're thinking of doing this campaign. Um, if you know if it's something that you want to get behind, um, are we cool to you know say you endorse it and stuff? And they'd be like, yeah, cool, no problem. Because um, you know they like they do do a lot of kind of great stuff. It's most it is mostly kind of um, American based. I mean, for, you know, from looking at the website, like you see, you know, you see the people that I'm like on the ambassador list with. Like mm-hmm. it's like Megan Rapinoe, me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> it's so um, good, Effie. It's so good. Um, so yeah, like you see, like they are kind of focused on American, and like you know, they are kind of doing a lot at the moment with the uh, all these kind of like bans on trans people in sport, mm. like all these like all these um, like government acts that are just popping up out of nowhere in America, um, trying to like ban like trans women from sport and stuff. Um, like they are quite active with kind of drawing attention to them and um, like things you can like things that we can do kind of as a community to kind of help um, like help kill these bills. Um, yeah, like I remember when they got the first got like I kind of reached out to them first and then kind of started the conversation and like you know we you know we talked on we talked on the phone for like a couple of hours just about and who I was and um like why I wanted to be involved and yeah I basically just told them you know how much it meant to me about you know people like me playing sport um I was like yeah like if you know if this I think I might have said it in the piece as well was like you know if this even gets one trans person involved in sport then I've succeeded and a question from Jess Keating (laughs) do you prefer handball or football and why and what skills do you think from each of them complement each other? I think at this point I have to say handball. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. 
because I've been like in the absence of kind of trainings and gyms um I've kind of been going to a local like there's like a 3G pitch like down the street from me so I've been going down there just to like kick a ball about and stay moving and it's just become I just become like increasingly obvious like that I just haven't got I haven't got those like that tech anymore to be like kicking ball (laughs) unless it's like five sides standing in goal or like in defence and just playing like spraying passes on the floor that's like my limit now whereas before (laughs) I don't know like I think it's just in terms of like skills I think personally it's I've always kind of been I've been the same person no matter what sport I play like I've always been a very kind of loud passionate person Mm. well you know whether it was hockey or futsal or handball or whatever like um I don't think I've ever like one of my favorite quotes was um it was actually from Kobe Bryant he said um can you be the same beast but a different animal you know just caught like that mentality of you know doing everything 110 percent, no matter what it is in life just do it um yeah like yeah but the, I think the reason why I was always such a loud passionate person about it is because I'd like personally I feel like I've gone through so much just to even get to the point of playing women's sport that like why wouldn't I celebrate that mm. like I, rem- I remember before Seaton got took over by Hartlepool um the reserves we played like an like a like an in, inside club game like first team versus second team one of them ones um, and I was playing for the second team and I think we were getting smoked about five nil at this time <laughs> and I think I like I must have scored in like the 92nd minute like as the scrappiest goal you've ever seen but like I think I've scored like the 91st minute to make it like 5-1 and I've like I've run off screaming and celebrating like I've just scored like the winner in the World Cup like <laughs> And everyone's looking at me going, what is going on? Like, it's like, it's a friendly and it's 5-1, what are you doing? But like, that kind of just set the precedent for how I've celebrated anything in sport. Like, because, like I said, it was such a battle just to even, like, just to even get, like, um, be approved to play women's sport from the FA and stuff. Mm. And like, having to jump through all their hoops and stuff. Even just that, like, not even including, like, the you know like the psychological like toll like toll it takes on you and stuff just to get to the point where I'm playing women's sport was like it's already like a bigger journey than like a lot of people have like taken in their lives mm. so like I'm not going to I wouldn't apologize for being kind of like loud and like passionate about it because yeah like that's just me <laughs> Yeah, I remember like a Vicky Park end of training game in the summer. You know, and like yeah, I just rem- I can I can picture you like overlapping down the left hand side and like maybe cutting the ball back and someone scores and you being like two arms in the air, being like yes, and I was like this is great, like this this energy is definitely definitely got to be celebrated and it's so welcome. And like it, like when when I first like that first year of captain in Middlesex like that really good year that I said like when we won nearly everything um like that team that year was like I love winning mm. I mean, as most people do like I love win- like winning is like my favorite thing so like this team was going out there and like not only winning but like 
absolutely crucifying teams. We've played a Nationals qualifier. <laughs> um, we, I think we played against, I think it was like Kent Uni second team. Um, now, Kent Uni first team is really good. I think they got to like the National like fine. They might have got to like the other semi national semi-final that year. Uh, but they were really good. But like the second team wasn't as good. Um and we ended up winning 35-1. Oh which even by like handball terms is like yeah, like that's a joke. Happen, like, yeah, yeah. But like I can remember I can remember us going like 30-0 up. And so I'm playing outfield at the time. And um my goalkeeper, Nicole, obviously she's kind of in the goal and I'm playing like right back or something. Someone scored, made it 30-0. Me and Nicole are running to the halfway line to each other, celebrating, <laughs> gave it the big high tens, <laughs> jump, jumping high tens at halfway line because we're so buzzing that we're just winning. <laughs> like, but that was the thing. It was like, it was great to have like other people in that team who like you could see cared about it just as much as me. Mm. And I think when... Like, when a group of people like that comes together, great things do happen. Like, like I said, like, like I said, we won the London League unbeaten. We got to the national semi final and stuff. And like, that team did so well because we all bought into it and like cared about it. And the same with Olympia. You know, the first year, well, the, the one year I was with Olympia, 18 19, we won the Premier League unbeaten. Like, the, like, the team spirit was incredible. Like, yeah, and I mean, the team spirit in Olympia has always been probably the best in the country anyway. Like, when you get a group of people that are just all tuned into that same, like, mentality of, like, we need to win this and, like, every point matters. Like, it's the last one. Like, once everyone's tuned in, then, like, the sky's the limit. Mm. Um, I wanted to finish with that Marseille shirt you're wearing. Oh my um, God, that's incredible. Marseille... I think one year they had an away shirt that had a pocket on. The denim one. Yeah, what? <laughs> like, what is going in that pocket? Mate, I think AC Milan had, like, the same template that year as well, but it was, like, I think it was gold, and then there was the pocket, and then, like, had, like, the Italian flag just, like, poking out of it. Oh, my like, God. It's, like, a, a denim shirt anyway is a bit of a... Yeah. Anyway, but to put a pocket on it. <laughs> like, honestly, what do you expect someone to keep in there? Yeah, honestly, like the only reason I got this one was like, I think I was just browsing one day. Um, I just saw it and like, like the artist in me was like, that shirt's incredible. Mm. Like just all the little like houses and stuff. I was like, oh my God, I need to get this shirt. So <laughs> yeah, I got it. And it was like, I love it. Yeah, um, I should just make a joke about how maybe the pockets for a defender who keeps a striker quiet or something like that. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think, I think, that, I think that was kind of like the, the obvious one of like football. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other what other shirts have you have you been impressed with recently? Like, I usually keep a little, um, just like a conveyor belt of shirts just coming to me. Um, mm. What's what's been really nice lately? The new Norway, the away one, the one that yeah. looks like what. Like I've got it in the, I've got it there. I think it was like the first shirt I bought when I moved here. Like very good, like, really, like icy one. Like that was really nice. Um, I like that Netherlands, the black one as well. Yeah, I think I think the black and orange one looks really nice. It reminds me of when um, I think it was 2012, 2013 when like they had like Van der Vaart and Robin, and mm. I remember they played against England. I think at Wembley, um, and they beat England, and I think Robin scored like a mad goal, but like. He was wearing like like a black and orange Nike shirt as well. It reminds me of that one. Like that's one of my favorite shirts ever. 
a lot of like the bigger teams, like the big like worldwide teams, have gone like they they are they're all kind of pivoting towards it being more like a like a fashion thing than kind of like a football thing. Like not to sound like you know like all a big like hashtag purist, yeah. <laughs> it like and because I do like I love a lot of like current shirts and stuff, but like you look at a team like PSG and think like you're quite clearly you're not making kits for the football fan anymore. Uh, you're quite clearly making kits that are trying to grab like the streetwear market and things like that. Um, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's been, like a lot of really nice shirts. A lot of like the, the the Jordan PSG ones, they look incredible. But like, it just takes me back to like a time of like, like even as little as like ten years ago, where like a kit launch would be like. Your striker, your goalkeeper, and <laughs> your left back. Yeah. So in front of like a dodgy graphic, hands behind back, full kit tucked in. Yeah, like them days have gone, unfortunately. Yeah, they are, aren't they? They are. Against modern football. Oh, no, no, don't, don't quote me on that one. I'm not, I think there's a, there's a lot of things I like about modern football, but kit launches we need to take them back we need, we need to reclaim the three play like your three new signings stood in the club shop we need that one back <laughs> um final thing i'll ask um you mentioned the 2019 world cup i remember being at that it's called the book club in shoreditch for the yeah, england norway game oh my god that day <laughs> <laughs> where 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 are you at with with uh with norway and what uh what's the what's the latest i mean I mean, I think it was like the lost three one of Germany the other day, but like it's weird because probably one of the best young players in the moment, um, she plays for Rosenborg. She's called uh, Julie Blackstad. She's really good and she but she's a like she's an attacker. Um now I didn't watch the game the other day, but um Going off what my friend said on Twitter, I think she was they had a playing at like wing back or something, and I'm like, this guy's not got a clue. <laughs> um, I mean, they're always like a decent team. Um, I think Marin Mielder being out from like the the cup final the other day, that's gonna that might affect like the Euros if she if she doesn't get back fit. Um, I don't know. I think they've always got a chance, but I think you know, team like teams like like France are always going to be in and around it. And I think, thank like thankfully it's the Euros, so there's no like America. But um, yeah, I think like I don't know. Like, what did you watch the England game the other day with France? I watched England France. Yeah, I'm about what? to chat to Jesse about the other two. I was following along, and I'm seeing like France are like two 0 up. What's going on? No, England. I'm going to chat to Jesse about this, but like. England were way off it in that game. France just looked so much better. So, so, so much better. Um, they could have, I mean, it could have been way more. It could have been way more than 2-1. And like, because like, I looked at the France team and I was like, like, they were missing like six, like five or six like big players, like, uh, like Henri and Renard, yeah. uh, Renard, like all these massive players were missing. And like, the kids are giving England the, like the dipsy doodle and winning like 2-0 <laughs> or something. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. Um, no, we'll see. I think, yeah, for 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 England, I suppose it's it's well the ones that are going to play for Team GB this summer, and then mm. 
and then Euros and kind of hang your hat on that? Team GB is really going to bother me because, like, I know that the majority will be English, but, like, my, my absolute nightmare is that, like, some, like, really good, like, players from, like, Scotland and Wales and Ireland are going to miss out. Mm. Mate, I think, I think if, if Sophie Ingle doesn't get picked, I'm, I'm, I'm going militant. Full on boycott. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, as you saw at the book club, like, I don't really cheer for Ingle <laughs> or anyone, but, like, Effie was think, screaming for Norway for anyone who wasn't there. When I think when um, when England missed the penalty in that game, I just remember standing up and going mental, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" It was a great, and like I wish that, like, like thankful, like I hope that like thing, like events like that will happen for like the Euros and stuff. Mm. Um, like I know that um, I know this fan girl's going to be doing watch parties for. The men's euros um but yeah like events like the one like like obviously all the ones that like the book club did for the world cup uh 2019 were like like i wonder how many like new fans they brought in just because like i mean tickets were free i think mm. and like you know i wonder how many people came, like i know for a fact i brought like two people who like they played football but they weren't kind of like like they just kind of played it. They weren't on like kind of supporting teams properly. And like, like the two girls I came with, like one was a Swedish girl, one was an English girl. And like after that, after that game, they were like, "Yes, like we need to go and watch more." So I was like, "Yeah, cool." Um, so yeah, I just wonder how many people that like things like that did bring in. Mm. When I came here, um, there was like a like a two hundred person limit. Mm. So like I got to watch um, Volenga women. Like, I watched them win the league, which was, like, incredible. And, like, I felt like I stumbled on that because, like, 200 people were allowed. But, like, because it was, like, a because it was a women's game, obviously, there was, like, I think I think games did sell out. But, like, obviously, there was always tickets going. Um, so, yeah, like, I, can't, I completely stumbled upon them winning the league. And, like, it was just class to see, like, see a game in public. Mm. Because before I moved here, the last game I watched live was, like, I think it was like Middlesbrough away at Charlton in like 2020 or something. And thankfully, thankfully, Borough won. But yeah, like before then, that was it. And like, there's, there's, you know, there's, probably, there's probably people who haven't seen games since last March live. So. Effie, thanks so much for your time. Great to chat to you. Really appreciate it. Really delight. <laughs>